This is Basket Case Clubs, CPR Group's podcast where we turn basket case clubs into showcase clubs. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Basket Case Clubs. We love talking about how we can take ordinary cases of people just doing dodgy stuff and getting themselves into all sorts of troubles and pickles and turning them around and ending up with some great showcases. Joining me again is Steve. G'day, Steve. How you doing? G'day. I'm really well. Yeah. We're recording this episode a little later in the week, this, uh, this week. And gosh, it's been a busy week. All different sorts of things going on. Lots of webinars, a uh, bit of face-to-face engagement with clubs, but lots of progress being made in uh, clubs turning themselves around and yeah, volunteers implementing change to make their lives easier and a little more enjoyable, which is always rewarding for us in our roles. You know, people get involved in volunteering because they enjoy it and yeah. sometimes things get in the way and they go, oh, why am I doing this and forgetting why they got involved in the first place. And that's a really good segue into our chat that we had this week with uh, Fish, uh, affectionately known as Fish, Michael Fisher being his full name. Uh, Michael Fisher has been a contact of ours and a, a good working partner at Queensland Cricket. Um, Fisher's now finished up with QC, but really kindly agreed to have a chat with us and share some of his insights. And as you say, you know, the, the uh, reason that people get involved in their organisation as volunteers most of the time is because they see that it could be well actually hold on no, i'm going to correct myself there most of the time people get involved because no one else puts their hands up <laughs> <laughs> and they don't want the club to suffer um but then before long uh people do often realize that it can be enjoyable and nevertheless there can be some significant distractions from what volunteers particularly at the management committee level should be focusing on And some of those distractions include things like dealing with poor behaviour, whether it be in a meeting setting or or on the sideline. And and that was one of the things that we discussed um, during the the chat that I had with Fish. And he was able to lend some insight from a a perspective of sitting at the state sporting organisation level and helping volunteers in clubs kind of wade through that quagmire of complaint handling processes and and seeing the frustration of the volunteers getting bogged down in that stuff rather than being able to focus on setting strategic direction and and planning for next season and beyond and and doing all the things that they should be doing. So uh, Fish is great to talk to as always. So let's get in. Joining me here today is Michael Fisher. We've uh, been working with Michael for a good couple of years now. Uh, Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. During your time uh, at the state sporting organisation level, what are some of the most common challenges that you've seen clubs face? Yeah, there's, there's two that come to mind pretty well straight away, Steve. Uh, firstly, um, just coping with, with the large volumes of, of information and, and compliance, I suppose, uh, that comes not only with running a, a business, but also running a, a sporting organisation. And trying to do that with volunteers is uh, obviously very, very difficult at times. Um, I, I think any person can, can, can really only process so much information. Um, and then to do that uh, on top of a, of a day job and a lot of other pressures in life, um, I think has is, is, is always been really challenging and something I've always tried to keep front of mind when, when working with volunteers. Um, uh, the other one, uh, again, linked to volunteers, I think, is just just recruiting and retaining volunteers. Um, and I think that's that's partially due to the 
the lifestyle and, and everyone being so busy that, that we've led, um, particularly in, in the last decade and, and partially probably due to, to club governance as well and, and uh, how that can be a little bit difficult to, to set up at times. Um, so, yeah, I think on the lifestyle front, it's going to be very interesting because we're obviously going through a pretty big change at the moment and, and some people actually have, have more time. Um, yeah, and, and, and people may be more available, but there's obviously a bunch of different pressures uh, happening at the moment as well. Yeah, what we're seeing is a real shift, like you mentioned, in the volunteering world. I mean, over the last oh, 20 years, you know, 22 years, as, as long as we've been doing this work, certainly, uh, we've seen a gradual decline in the number of volunteers sticking their hand up to help out. Um, and, you know, while that period of, of the last 20 or so years has felt really short, a lot has has changed. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more families where both parents are working, um, uh, you know, a lot less time available and, and people in, in some cases are more and more happy to, to put their hand in their pocket and pay a bit extra uh, for mm. the benefit of not having to help out. But what we've seen at the same time is that decline in volunteering is almost like a, a mirroring of a, an increase in the compliance requirements that, clubs have got to meet and the hoops that you know organizations need to jump through and have, did you kind of um experience a bit of pushback from the club level in terms of you know at, at qc requesting more and more by necessity in terms of compliance and then having volunteers <laughs> often meet you with that that age-old oh but we're only volunteers yeah yeah absolutely and it, it was quite funny I did an exercise at one stage, just working through all the compliance requirements and uh, and just trying to simplify it a bit. And and uh, unfortunately, a lot of it as a state sporting organisation is out of your control. Mm. So you, you want to help people, but at the same time, you, you're actually just helping them to meet the requirements of legislation. Um, yep. And it just, it probably doesn't feel like that to, to clubs and volunteers at times because it, you, you're always coming at them as, as you said so yeah yeah it's it's I, I think that's where having having good relationships and being able to talk through things is, is really important that, that's a really important point definitely and and we often um uh, you know i heard saying things like it's all about the people it's all about the personal relationships and and connections that you establish because as you will have experienced i'm sure it's so much easier to blame the next person up the line than it is to look at your own operations and say, okay, yes, you know, we, we do need to change the way that we're doing something because the state or national governing body is telling us that we need to do that. And, and yes, that might mean some more work, but instead of just blaming them, what can we do about that? What can we do differently to streamline our operations and achieve efficiencies to make up for the fact that in most cases, quite reasonably, we've got to do more stuff to, to tick compliance boxes definitely so and then yeah recruiting and retaining volunteers definitely in that sense um it's all about the personal connection too you know and we talk so much with with volunteer management committees or boards who typically fall into the trap of day-to-day operations you know doing the doing rather than doing the strategic decision making and the thinking and then inevitably find themselves burnt out overworked you know and sick of their jobs uh and, and, you know, they'll say things like, oh, we're always asking for help and we're always telling people that we, we need this done and that done. Um, and no one ever helps out. 
and often there's a disconnect and, and those committees aren't taking the time, as you mentioned, to build those personal connections and make friends with your members. Yeah. And I, I think I recall you talking about this on an earlier podcast and, and I took a lot out of it, even just from a, a work point of view. I think it, it kind of, when you put it that way, it just takes the pressure off having to be a, a salesman or, or sell volunteering in a way. And just, just being yourself and just getting to know people, which is part of the reason why people get involved in clubs in the first place. So I think yeah. that's a great way to put it. So what have been some of your most frustrating experiences, do you think, in dealing with clubs and their members? Sadly, because of my role entailing some member protection responsibilities, I have seen a few. And I think the ones that have been most frustrating uh, probably for everyone involved uh, are the issues that, that get escalated and then go through a formal process and, and sometimes really get dragged out. Mm. And it becomes even more frustrating sometimes when it's a, perhaps a, a less serious matter uh, and could have, could have been resolved amicably. So you, you sort of feel like you're spending your time uh, on something when you, you really could be spending it on, on something more proactive, but because by the time it gets to a formal process, naturally you, you've just got to do the work having been in my role for quite a while i, I think I, I probably could have used mediation a bit more as a tool uh, okay. or even just uh, encouraging people to talk to each other uh, early on in the piece um, or facilitating that in some sort of way mm. i think uh, really really could have helped um, there, there are ways to resolve things informally it's, it's not always suitable there are things that um uh, uh, definitely warrant going going through formal processes, but um, yeah, the, it, it becomes quite frustrating mainly because of the the time consumed and the emotional energy consumed. Mm. And I think again, particularly for for volunteers who, who are there to to enjoy it, uh, it, it it's kind of sad to see at times as well that that that's where all their their energy and time gets sucked into at, at different stages. So I think it, it sometimes comes back to a little bit sort of people just cooling off always helps. Uh, we all tend to forget a little bit why we, we, we got involved and, and that's, that's just to, to enjoy it. It's, it's a game at the end of the day. It's, it's, a, it's a club. You're there to, mm. to meet people and have fun. Um, sometimes the, uh, the, the nastier issues occur uh, and, and they have to go through either a formal process or, or can be resolved. But um, yeah, that, that's been really, really frustrating at different times. You, you, you learn to go with it a bit, I think, as an employee eventually and just appreciate that it's, it's part, of the, part of the job. But uh, yeah, particularly as you're, you're adjusting to it, it, it gets quite frustrating. You know, I think that the, the vast majority of volunteers with whom we work do get involved to, to help a club or to leave it better for them having been involved. So then when they're bogged down in that day-to-day crap, you know the the bickering and 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 seemingly nonsensical um, complaints that that we often see lodged through the formal process, rather than people again going back to what we were discussing earlier and just applying that personal approach and and being reasonable. You know, at least to some degree, um, wherever you have a group of people, people are going to disagree. Some people aren't going to get on, and that's just a fact of life. Uh, and and we, I think do 
fall into the trap sometimes in the world of sport of, of having a member protection policy and looking at the document and saying, right, well, there's a, an established formal process. And I know if I submit a complaint, these steps must follow rather than saying, all right, well, if, if in, you know, any other aspect of life, I had an issue, maybe I'd just go on with someone, maybe I'd just go and have a chat with them, or maybe I'd approach my superior and yeah. say, look, I'm having this problem. Can you help me deal with it? So maybe there's a bit of mindset shift that we need to see in the world of sport to help save some of that time. Yeah, and I've, I've heard it put really well uh, by a guy called Morgan Lander who, who has done a bit of member protection training for us. Yeah. And he puts it as, as member protection information officers ideally would be actually a proactive role where they're, they're just talking to people, welcoming people, getting to know people within the club Yep. And, and solving issues before they come up and, and helping helping culture. So I thought that was a really nice way of, of putting a positive spin on what can sometimes be a, a, a pretty negative space. Yeah, and, and I think that that word you use, culture, is so important to get right um, from the outset. And people, I mean, we see some, to- as you will have also, we see some toxic club cultures and, I'm working particularly in another sport, admittedly, um, also a lot of crossover though between cricket and golf uh, in that a lot of cricketers are good golfers, but in a particular golf club with which we work and they would have at least 30 serious complaint handling processes followed every year. And it's just, it's just, the norm you know they just expect it and and it's not only the 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 members it's not only the board it's not only the staff it's everyone that misbehave and therefore get called to account and i'm sure that it's because when new people come into the club it's just commonplace that these you know issues are going on so that's the culture of the club and and therefore people fall into that whereas if if the culture is one of positivity and i love that that point that um, that you pass on from Morgan and, and he applies a really practical approach to what can be a really messy topic. And um, I think that that proactive, uh, you know, approaching of a new member and, and talking through, you know, the expectations of behavior and, and, yep. you know, sure all of this MPIO and member protection framework exists, but, you know, if we all just get along and, and talk about our, grievances openly with one another where it's reasonable maybe we can avoid some of that frustration and time wastage Uh, are there any incidents looking back then on your time with queensland cricket or problems that make you laugh about them now yeah there's probably quite a few and most (laughs) of my sort of sense of humor probably relates to pretty early on and just the kind of baptism of fire you can undergo as a new employee in a, in a sports organization. Yep. I, I remember one occasion in particular, my favorite is I, I think I, I copped a spray on the phone for about an hour. I, I don't particularly remember what it was over. It, you know, it would have been something competition related. And uh, at the end of it, the, the person just finished with, I oh, will, uh, Thanks very much, Michael. You're you're a great listener, and, and you take care. Uh, and I thought, wow, okay. Um, and uh, that that person ended up becoming a really good friend once I got to know them them better. Okay. Uh, but I think that I think that's just the the nature sometimes of, of sport too. And uh, as you mature as well, it's it's just something you learn not to to take personally. I think that's fantastic advice and it paints a really clear picture of the human psyche which is that sometimes it just 
take someone to listen to us and to, you know, kind of agree with us that our issue is a, a real problem or, or just to be there and like you did for an hour and listen, maybe they had never had an experience with someone at the state governing body level that had listened to them genuinely and hadn't just kind of, you know, brushed them off or gone on to the next issue or, or even, you know, necessarily tried to, find some actionable outcome from the discussion, but literally just listened and put themselves in their shoes. So I think that that's fantastic advice, uh, you know, for, for, for other state body employees out there in the world of sport is that, that, you know, it is the personal connection in the first instance, but, but also it's finding out what makes the people who run the clubs tick and, and, and getting them on your side because, you know, they'll quickly, and I'm guessing that th this example might be one of those where he maybe became a, a real advocate for you and for Queensland cricket just because you gave him the time of day. Yeah, and, and, and one of the best operators I, I know. Uh, thinking about uh, some of the challenges then that, that um, you've seen clubs face, um, what are some of the great solutions that you've seen clubs implement to tackle those challenges? Well, I think coming back to... The, one of the original challenges around volunteers and, and the way that you put it with, with engaging members, uh, there's some clubs and associations that I think have done some great things to engage more just by making the environment more family friendly. Yep. Uh, some of the best examples I've, I've seen are, are some competitions aimed at, at parents and, and mums in particular. Uh, there's a, a club... Uh, who's had some some great success with with running games under lights and making a real event out of it and putting food and drink on a Friday night so that uh, the parents come down and and they they have a great time as well. So again, an another great family environment. Another example was a club who who simply kind of glitzed up their senior presentation night to to engage partners a little bit more because they were finding that uh, the presentation night was uh, just just the members and their male members in particular. So um, that they really found a way to, to engage partners a lot more. I think as well, it's, it's probably no coincidence that a lot of these strategies to me actually sort of make me think of what the Big Bash League did mm. uh, in terms of just going to a family market. Um, they they realised that, that they were missing out potentially on 50% on of, of the market and just went straight to entertainment, basically focused a little less on cricket and yep. focused more on entertainment. And, uh, you know, very early on, we, we saw what a great success it was. And, and uh, th th there's still some great legacies of, of that to this day where uh, along with the, the trend in women's sport at the moment, cricket as a sport is, is now uh, far more appealing. It's, it's such a great reinvention of the game and we're in a really competitive sporting market. There are a lot of options out there to kids. There's a lot of options out there to adults. We're not only competing with, with you know, team-based sports now, but there's the whole individualised participation, park run, CrossFit, going to the gym. So we really need to tap into whatever opportunities we can to remain relevant and avoid obscurity in this really crowded market. And I think that, again, yeah, you've nailed it where you've highlighted that that social side of sport and, and engaging the, the families and, you know, Friday night under lights, you know, have a, have a drink if it's a licensed venue, eat some food, avoid cooking that night. Um, and 
in, involve people in in a far more kind of enjoyable social sense rather than just you know we want to compete and win at all costs how do you reckon then we could be achieving better collaboration between you know clubs at the local level and then uh, maybe the regional association the state and national governing governing bodies it's a really interesting space i I think there's often a temptation at national and state level to kind of just standardise everything and yep. just put out templates and, and just seek kind of maximum adoption. I think a lot of sports have probably learned over time that, that that doesn't necessarily work and people probably understand a bit more now you, you think globally and, and act locally and working with your clubs and associations to 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 tailor things is essential really. Uh, I think that that's some great work that, that CPR does in, in, in this space uh, in things like constitutions and strategic plans. Obviously, the, you, you can have a, a template and, and interestingly as well, I came across a, a governance principle in, in the Sport Australia website which, which says that sport should operate from, from one strategic plan and and be implemented at local levels which which i think is accurate because of the second part of that statement of it around being implemented at, at local levels but it doesn't mean that um everyone has the same strategic plan necessarily it means you, you work towards similar objectives and uh key to that is is getting members to to have an input whether that's members of a, a club um or, or members of a, a state sporting organization um probably broader than that too stakeholders uh, of clubs and, and state sporting organizations um so yeah because there's there's so many layers uh it it's really challenging and and i think there's a lot of opportunity there um i'm also a great believer that uh strategy and, and execution should really be one and the same um, and it's an obvious statement, but uh, you can you can have a, a strategy on paper um, and then go off and, and do something completely different. In, in which case, your strategy isn't what's what's on paper. Mm. It's what what you you're doing at the time. Um, and, and you see quite a lot. I guess uh, sometimes strategic plans are written to to appease certain audiences, and um, or, or it's just the way things have, have been done. Not only in, in um, community and sport but but sometimes in, in the corporate world as as well uh so yeah i think it, it can be really powerful if you can get everyone uh clear on clear on your vision clear on your strategic plan and actually be working towards those those objectives i really liked what what you had to say about a, a three-year horizon for clubs and associations in strategic planning a, a little while ago um because I think it's essential to keep your, your strategy and your, your plans relevant and, and, and keep referring to them. Whilst, um, whilst there's so many organisations and, and that's not going to kind of change, certainly in the, in the short term, um, if everyone can work together in terms of the, the strategic planning, uh, that that could make a, a world of difference. Yeah, I, I really agree that it's... It's, it's important for, you know, if we start with the national body, they really need to be in touch with their affiliates, you know, at, at the state and yeah. even potentially lower levels. Because as soon as there's that disconnect and there's a lack of buy-in from 
you know, the, the affiliate level to the national vision or, or, or strategic direction, it makes it really hard to, to achieve that alignment and collaboration across the board. Because if, if, for example, a state body says, oh, well, we grossly disagree with what the national body's saying, or if the same thing happens at the regional or local level, you know, in relation to a, a, a state body's direction, then they're going to go and forge their own path elsewhere and, and say, well, we think that we should be achieving this. So we're not going to, you know, buy into the, the um, junior programs of, of the national body and, and we're going to go and do our own thing because it's cheaper or it's easier or whatever the reasoning might be. A, a failure to see the bigger picture because there's not that buy-in is, can be really detrimental to the game yep. or to any sport. At each level, we really need to take account of what's happening uh, below us and and be in touch with the the challenges and and you know the the changes that that we see day in day out. You know we we live in such a rapidly changing world that sports that aren't keeping up. Um, you know, in contrast to cricket, with with the likes of the BBL and changing junior formats of the game to be more accessible the sports that aren't keeping up are struggling and they're only going to continue to struggle more because of the competitive nature of the environment in which we operate well i've got one more question if you were to recommend to basket case clubs just one thing to focus on improving what do you think that one thing would be it's potentially a boring answer for some absolutely governance and and how decisions are made is key for mine um i think it's it's really yeah, if you get the process right, the, the outcomes will, will start to to take care of themselves. Um, and uh, I, I uh, love the podcast on on meetings. Uh, I think that was really a good way of putting things and and where uh, naturally a majority of the decisions get made. I've always been a big believer that people need to come into meetings with the right evidence in front of them to be able to make a considered decision and then i guess the other thing is is finding a bit of a balance uh in in how you make decisions uh, you know between the the kind of just going off and and doing something yourself without consulting and and getting paralyzed by consulting with everyone it's important to make decisions uh and and the reason for that i think is trying new things is is really the only way that that anyone learns and and you see that that the best clubs who've who've innovated things that um i wouldn't have thought of in in a million years or or uh, most sports wouldn't have thought of have just tried and tried and tested and and iterated um and and they were prepared to to give something a go um so yeah that's that's the uh lengthy answer or, or to to governance for me um and perhaps not the most exciting topic, but but it really is key. And I think uh, getting that in place can really take a lot of pressure off volunteers as well. Once they know how decisions are being made and, and things are being delegated and uh, the right information is getting put forward to everyone, uh, you, you can start to, to focus most on what matters, I think. It's not boring to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? Yeah, I think that that's great advice that, um, you know, the the basic uh, decision-making and governance framework of a club really needs to be spot on because everything else then can, can flow successfully from that. Michael, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much for joining me. And uh, we look forward to continuing our work together in some way uh, into the future. Uh, likewise, Steve, thanks very much for having me and for all the education you've, you've shared recently. It's been great. No worries at all. Cheers, Michael. Thanks, mate. 
So there you have it. A great chat with Fish and really enjoyed getting some of his insights from his time at, uh, at Queensland Cricket. Obviously, culture being a bit of a theme, the discussion and needing to ensure that everyone understands the, the need for good, positive behaviour in dealing with other people in your organisation, as well as building a culture of people wanting to help others out and uh, sharing that workload that inevitably exists in a volunteer organisation. We often talk about culture and we see bad culture creep into full contact sports. And you kind of expect that a little bit, especially where we've got this, this connection between alcohol and sport <laughs> in Australia. And so then it's, it's, it's always disappointing, but I suppose not surprising when you hear nasty stories of bad sideline behaviour, bad parent behaviour, mixing alcohol with, with what could sometimes be a pretty gladiatorial display on the field. Mm. So it's, it's a bit surprising sometimes when you hear pretty nasty stories of bad culture and bad behavior in a sport that should be, a, should be considered quite peaceful as, as cricket, but it, it just, it exists everywhere. And so to be able to have some coping mechanisms and some strategies like fish talked about to be able to deal with it across the board is really helpful regardless of where you sit, whether you're playing full contact tiddlywinks or chess, <laughs> yeah and we explored that in relation to the point that he made um passing on the advice from morgan lander and his take on the fact that we should probably be a bit more proactive in member protection rather than dealing with problems after they happen mm, let's um you know welcome induct people as they are new to a club and kind of make sure that they fit within the positive behavior culture that we've built so that we avoid some of those issues in the first place yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's be proud of our culture and so proud of it that we sing it from the rooftops as soon as new people arrive. Spot on. So really enjoyed having a chat with Fish. Hope you all enjoyed listening and we look forward to seeing you all again next week. See you later. <laughs>